podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the Church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work at pcaac.org. This is Gifts and Graces. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Brian Cosby on effective youth ministry. Brian serves as senior pastor at Wayside Presbyterian Church in Signal Mountain, Tennessee. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2014 General Assembly. Let's listen as Brian talks about giving up the gimmicks and reclaiming youth ministry. My name is Brian Cosby, and I... uh, Served in youth ministry specifically for a number of years, a little over 10 years, and um, I was very much involved in uh, a variety of youth ministries and uh, as through college, and I did all kinds of crazy uh, things in my youth ministry days, and there's a number of times where uh, I wanted, um, my, my goal was to get as many youth as possible into the youth group. That was my goal. Uh, because it, it made me look good with the church staff and the parents. If I got a big group coming, everybody liked it. And when I didn't have a lot of people coming, no one liked it. <laughs> and so that was my measure of what I did. Uh, and so um, we did all kinds of uh, what now I'm kind of calling gimmicks or games to try to get them and woo them. And at one point we uh, we, you know, we were eating all kinds of things. Uh, you know, if you eat a lot of weird stuff, you get youth coming to it. Um, uh, and so, with goldfish, or uh, at one point we had a, a big contest, and uh, a bunch of youth um, guy was uh, about to eat a live goldfish. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but uh, it's not healthy. But they they were just chanting. The whole room was chanting. It was great and crazy. You know, Marcus, and uh, and so he swallowed this goldfish. Everybody went crazy. The guys were like, "Yes." The girls were, you know, disgusted slightly with that. Um, and then it was wonderful. But then I was thinking, well, what's next week? And as a as a and this was a weekly cycle of how are we going to top that? We blew the rest of our budget on a high-priced youth band that came in and. Um, we, we didn't do any publicity for it because we thought that word would get out. And, uh, and so we had a gym. I don't know if you've ever played music, but drums in a gym, it's like you hit a, a snare or something and then you hear multiple echoes of it. It's a horrible place to do a concert. Anyway, so they were in there and eight showed up. Uh, wide open gym, um, eight people standing there arms folded, 
you know, and they probably stayed for maybe 30 minutes. And the whole band was like choreographed, and I really felt bad for them. I was hoping they weren't actually paying attention to uh, anybody. Um, when I started youth ministry in Atlanta, uh, I was part of a uh, interdenominational group, and we were planning a D now. Ever been up to a D now, anybody? I'm glad that only a few of you have. Um, and part of this D now program, uh, there we spent probably an hour talking about which Christian magician to get, and um, and maybe five minutes on the speaker, but he had to be funny. Um, there's nothing about who he was or his background or anything. And, uh, and I was completely overwhelmed by this. This is not what we were, uh, at that point, um, engaged in. But I was completely burned out of a, uh, an entertainment-driven youth ministry. It was just, it was just tiring. Uh, when we had a lot of people, I felt full of pride. And when we didn't have anybody, I was like, we're done. You know, next week, no one's going to come back. It's over. It was despair. And the reason I felt those two uh, things, you know, pride or despair, was because I was focused on success uh, and not faithfulness uh, to God. And, and, this is, and this is a much easier place to, to present this um, because already you have a, a belief, I hope, uh, that God is sovereign to save and sanctify his people. Um, I was at the Virginia State Baptist Convention doing this, and that was not the case. And, uh, and so there's like this fundamental groundwork uh, that uh, was just not there. But if God is the one who saves, and he has already given means to do this, and we're called to plant and water the gospel, he gives the growth, what are the means by which he does that? What are the ordinary means by which he does that? Um, but you probably, I don't know if you've ever heard this, if you've done youth ministry, or you're the youth guy, you come up with the game, you come up with the, the skit, you're, to some degree, youth pastors have become, become the glorified babysitter. They, the parents drop their kid off, and you, know, you do my job for me. Uh, I'll abdicate my responsibility to you. Um, but here's, here's why I basically see a big difference in between success and faithfulness-driven ministries, um, there is a strong emphasis on numbers. Uh, I know uh, my former pastor at, in Peachtree City, um, Doug Griffith, he always used to talk about the three B's, uh, buildings, budgets, and bodies. And these were the, the three levels of understanding success in a ministry. And, um, and this, is, this is just detrimental. And it's not bad to evaluate a ministry to some degree on numbers. But to base your goal on numbers um, would be, I think, uh, not in the purview of Scripture. So our goal, and we'll look at that a little bit later, but um, some strong emphasis on numbers. You probably, if you've worked with youth, or actually any ministry position, this is the biggest question, or one of the most frequent questions you get, how many? How many did you have? And it becomes this plague and burden that you deal with. Um, there's a preoccupation with creating the most attractive experience, environment, and show. Um, you, it's, everything's elevated to the experience of the night or the experience of the, the youth group, the experience of the retreat. A constant fear of failure. You're always 
afraid that no one's going to come, that it's just going to blow up and, and you're going to be looking, you know, for the next uh, youth job or whatever. Um, there's a strong desire to be accepted by teens. Focus on celebrity worship leaders, skit guys, and speakers. Emphasis on being relevant to the exclusion of doctrine. So um, we try to lower standards a lot of times to get people to come or do things to get people to be there. So faithfulness-driven, I would say there's an emphasis on faithful, faithfulness to God by the means of grace He's already provided us in His uh, Word, His church and His Word. A sense of spiritual security and peace resting in the promises of Christ that He will build His church. Uh, there's, a, there's a rest there. Um, appreciation for intergenerational church. We'll look at that in a minute. And a humble confidence in teaching the whole counsel of God's word, doctrine, and all. Um, I have found that youth want that. Uh, youth want to just actually be told the truth <laughs> and, and not uh, try to figure it out through so many uh, schemes and whatever. You've probably seen these numbers. And the reason there is such a huge... I mean. 50 to 88 percent is a big range, you know. Um, you know, sticky faith, uh, they're more on the lower end of this. Um, Loose and some of the, the groups in the SBC uh, came out with the 88 percent in the high end. But, okay, 50 percent on the low end. Either way, um, between a half, uh, three fourths, so if you have four kids, three of them leaving the church at the, by the end of their first year in college. Uh, the reason that the the range is so big is how do you determine how they're involved in the first place? That, it just depends. Uh, how they mark, I was this involved and now I'm not. That That's why, that's one of the reasons why there's such a big span there. Um, but either way, it's not great. Uh, some of those are returning. Um, I know you've maybe seen this one study already gone uh, that they did some research into this and saw that and found that that it's actually, they're already gone by high school uh, in most cases. Uh, it's not that they all of a sudden decided not to come when they got to college. College was just the exit point. But already early on, they were not really there. They're not plugged in. They don't own the faith. They're still borrowing their parents' faith, etc. Um, and most teens raised in the church cannot articulate the gospel let me just say most parents and adults cannot articulate the gospel. And, and they go together. I mean, you know, when you ask, I don't know if you've ever heard of White Horse Inn, um, Michael Horton, but he, uh, I remember one, one program, he went around and just interviewed a bunch of people at a Christian convention, which means those are the super Christians that go to a convention. So he was going around interviewing them, and he was just asking basic questions about, all right, do you believe in the Ten Commandments? Yes, what are they? <laughs> um, I don't. And one guy said, "I love it." He said, uh, "I don't know them, but I sure keep them." Um, so there's, you know, asking questions. What is justification? I justify myself or something. What is the gospel? No one, no one gets it. I mean, as far as even adults go. So I know we talk about youth here, but this is not just with teenagers, and uh, it's it's all over uh, the church. So. Those are the questions. Just a little background on um, what I'm seeing in youth culture, um, uh, and and there's a lot of I was talking to Danny, a lot of subcultures here, but basic kind of overview here. 
there are low expectations for teenagers. There's a book that came out about five years ago, Do Hard Things. I don't know if you saw that, by the Harris twins. Um, anyway, the brothers. Um, but there are low expectations. Uh, and, and you probably have felt this in your ministry uh, with teenagers. Um, they can't get that. They can't understand that. Don't you got to lower your, dumb it down to their level. And but I've I've found just the opposite. I've found that, um, that for example, I was I was praying with a, a group of sixth grade boys around a table, and in their prayers, uh, their heart prayer is God, thank you for declaring me righteous in your sight because of the imputed righteousness of Christ in my account. Thank you for. Um, for cleansing me of my sin, uh, for drawing me into fellowship with you and your Son, the Spirit, forever. I mean, sixth grade boys, they get it. They can get that. And uh, I think they rise to, to what we give them. And uh, I think they, we can have a, a lot um, more for them. Um, one summer, uh, had some youth come, and they were wanting to just learn a few, a couple of Greek words to be able to just look up stuff. Uh, it was in like a May, is right before summer. I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to offer a, like an 11-week intro to Greek, just so you can do some word searches and, and that kind of thing. Um, just know some some verbs. And uh, so the first day, we had to move because we had like 55 youth come. And then the next week, we get a bigger crowd because they brought their parents. And for the summer, they're on like Monday morning or whatever it was, uh, learning Greek. Um, they want that. I mean, they want to be pressed and, and talk about difficult things. I think they're tired of just the shallow, they see through, you know, the, the gimmicks and the entertainment. And it's like, just, let's just tell, tell me why you're here and what we're doing. Um, thank you for being honest. It's refreshing. There, there's a trained entitlement. Again, this is not just with youth, but we feel like we deserve health, wealth, and prosperity. We deserve, uh, you know, to live long and prosper. We deserve these kinds of things. And when we don't get them, we feel that we should sue somebody. Uh, when we when when we don't uh, realize what we feel that we deserve. A few models of committed love. They don't see any commitment on any level. Uh, whether it's in the home, in the church, church shopping. I don't see this with parents. They see high numbers of divorce, etc. A few models of committed love. Uh, I know you've never heard this before from a teenager. I'm bored. Uh, I, I heard that a lot. And what, that, what's the, what, is it, what are we indicating here with I'm bored? What are, what's being indicated there? The idea is you're living from one pleasure high to the next, and in between, you just feel, all right, I need to be entertained some more, um, and so I'm bored. The opposite of that is serving others. That's the opposite attitude there. So how can I be entertained, I'm bored, to opposite of serving? Um, number one, fear among teens being alone. We, there's been numerous studies and polls on this. And, and when they're asked, what is your greatest fear? And they'll say, being alone. The number two fear was rejection, which leads to being alone. <laughs> and number three fear was the pain of death. But uh, being alone, their greatest fear. And, and this is 
why we have this quest for intimacy and communion. So we are creating God's image for relationship. Our God, Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit create us in His image to have relationship uh, with one another. And so that's why solitary confinement is so bad. That's why being alone is so, uh, it's, it's so painful at times. Rejection is so painful. Uh, and at this stage in their life, as they're growing in this, and they're wanting that community, they want to uh, be accepted. It's, you know, Facebook has done wonders for that. I will accept you as my friend. Uh, and, and to have the friend, to have that group, that's a whole other topic, the, the digital, virtual friendship world. But, but we, at the base of it, we all want intimacy and community. Um, trained skepticism, we live in a small print world. Um, we don't believe anything that we first hear. Someone says, this is free. And you're saying, no, it's not. I mean, we're taught that. Uh, they're taught not to trust adults now, especially church leaders. They're taught not to trust that. They don't. You have to build trust with them. Um, it used to be that because of your position or title 50 years ago, 60 years ago, you had an immediate trust but that's no longer the case, especially with probably church leaders, thanks to media and reality. Um, absentee parents, uh, not there. Um, whether it's single parent, single parent homes or just dad's gone, mom's gone, not in their life, not involved in their life at all, absentee parents. Child-driven families, what I mean by that is some parents will just simply follow their kids around everywhere. They never set the pace. They don't set the parameters. They just say, you know, if you want to, I'll just drive you from one sporting event to social event to school to whatever, and, and families run ragged because of it, and, and parents aren't setting the pace in the home, so um, I call it child-driven. And then have you ever heard of this, therapeutic, uh, or moralistic therapeutic deism? Have you heard of this? Okay, so Christian Smith... Um, did this the this study came out with Oxford University Press Soul Searching? Have you seen this? And um, and as they die, as they've done, and they're sociologists, University of Notre Dame, and as they've done the study of what is the religion of American teenagers, this is what they came up with: uh, the idea of moralism, that God just wants me to be good, not bad. Um, therapeutic, that when bad things happen. I call on him as the divine bellhop to come and, you know, and, and you hear this from politicians when things go wrong. Our thoughts and prayers are with you, with the families. It's, it's, that's the time when we call out to God. Just that, though. I mean, it's, it's, he's there to make me feel better. He's the divine crutch uh, when, I, when things go wrong. But he's not there, really. It's this deism. It's this God is watching us from a distance. Remember that song? Uh, God is watching us from a distance. Uh, so he's not involved in the There's no such thing as providence. Uh, God's sovereignty in action uh, displayed. Uh, there's nothing like that. It is just deism. Um, he's not involved in the day-to-day -day affairs. He doesn't have any kind of control, no sovereignty, any of that. But this is, this is what they've determined as an American teenage religion I contend that it's just American religion. It's not, it's not just teenagers. This is adults. This is church leaders. This is our functional 
Maybe this is not our confessional statement, but our day-to-day functional belief in America is this. Um, just kind of the, the normal pattern. Okay, any questions on those? Thoughts on those? Okay, good. So what's the alternative? What we're trying to do in this, I, I know, I know the, the title says Giving Up Gimmicks, uh, Reclaiming Youth Ministry from Entertainment Cult, which is a very negative title. That wasn't my de- desire, uh, that it would have this negative title. By the way, here's the book, Giving Up Gimmicks, right here. Um, you can get it downstairs. Downstairs? Yeah, downstairs in the, uh, in the bookstore. Um, but my initial title wasn't going to sell. It was like Means of Grace Youth Ministry or something. That was the publisher wisely said, no, that's not going to work. Um, but so it's a very, we want to be positive here. If it's not entertainment-driven models, if it's not success-oriented models of youth ministry or any ministry, what is the alternative? And what we're trying to do is connect and be consistent with our belief that God is sovereign, that he saves, um, and what we do. If he's the one that saves and sanctifies, what do we do then? What's our job in that, uh, in youth ministry? And, um, and so we're trying to connect a theology and a methodology together that is consistent, that works well together, uh, like the, the wheels on a sprocket kind of, or whatever, the, the grooves kind of um, dovetailing. And I mentioned this, but neither he who plants nor he who waters anything, but only God who gives the growth. Um, which is a humbling verse the more you think about it. We are called to plant and water the gospel, <laughs> but it's God who gives the growth. It's not us. And uh, one of you will probably plant in a seed in the heart of, uh, of a teenager or a youth or a child or something, but you may not see that growth ever. Someone else might come and water later on, and you, and you just don't know how that's going to turn out. Uh, this is an interesting uh, passage here, and you, I'm sure you're very familiar with this, but in Acts chapter 2, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of, and I wish English translations would put in here the definite article, uh, which is there in the Greek, um, breaking of the bread and prayers, and the Lord added to their number day by day those were being saved. Now there's some dots here, because I, I wanted to fit this on one slide. But basically, you know what they're doing. They're serving. They're engaged. Okay, they're, So you see here various things that the early disciples were devoted to. They're not really difficult. They're, they're a few simple things. But these are the things that God has given the church to grow his people. And so you see teaching, the word, fellowship, breaking of the bread. What, do you think, what is that referring to? Most people think that's a reference to what? Lord's Supper, that's right. Because later on in, in this same passage, if you look up Acts chapter 2, later on, I think it's in verse 45, verse 46, it just has the bread without the definite article. Anyway, um, and the prayer. So you have some basic things that they were devoted to. Of course, Acts 13, 48, this is Paul and Barnabas. They're preaching. Uh, and then when the Gentiles heard this, the gospel, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So they're preaching, they're teaching, God saves. Their task was not to save. Their task was not the success, the growth. Their task was simply to be faithful to the means that God has given them to do it. And here's what I'm getting at. When, you, when we look at our ministry week, 
and we see the priorities that God has and the ordinary means by which he grows his church, are those the priorities that we see functionally, practically, in our weekly ministry? And that's where I came to. I said, no. I don't see the priorities that are in my weekly ministry matching the priorities that God has because I think that I can do better. I think that if I can invent new ways to do ministry or try to pack on some extra different, I don't know, crazy events, then I'll have a higher success rate. But we're seeing that's not the case. It's a 50-year failure. This experiment with this kind of ministry. And that's why we see this huge population of people leaving the church. We're like, well, that's not working anyway. We think it's going to work, and it doesn't. And all the while, God has given us the tools and the means to do it. It's a humbling place to come to, to look at your ministry and your weekly, uh, what you do in your week, and say, that's not the priorities that God has, if I want to be really honest with it. So here's, here's what I believe is a central task of youth ministry, is to faithfully plant and water the gospel of Jesus Christ, trusting God to provide the growth, the question, how are you to faithfully plant and water? So the how-to, the method, is what we're getting at. We are going to agree on the content, and most people will say we need the content is crucial. Where we, where we will differ is the means. We, will believe, we, we start to believe this erroneous idea that the ends justify the means. But the, in reality, God cares not only about the content and the end, but also the means by which we go about it. He cares about the method, the means. Um, one aspect of this is the, the primary role of parents. Um, I'll say a quick word about this. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not seeing this at all as a priority in ministry. Um, I was with a, a, a Youth for Christ yeah, Youth for Christ guy, you know, he's coming in to ask for money uh, for his mission or whatever. Um, and I don't want to disparage any kind of, uh, you know, parachurch organization. I have some thoughts on it. But, uh, but he comes in, he gives me his 30-minute spiel on why I should support him with money. And, and, and then I look at him and I say, in your entire talk, I didn't hear anything about the role of parents or the local church. And when I look at the Bible, those are very important aspects of children's lives and teenagers and families. Those are primary kinds of things. And if you're going to have a whole model of ministry, those would be primary as well. The responsibility to train up children is not on the youth pastor. It's on the parent. And you know, we see this all the way through the Old Testament, of course, you know, well-known passages like Deuteronomy 6, Psalm 78, Psalm 148. Um, of course, New, Ta- New Testament. Can you think of any passages in New Testament that speak directly to parents and their role? Can you think of any? Do I? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Ephesians 5 and chapter 6, especially the first four verses of chapter 6. Colossians 3. Um, the very specifically say, you know, they speak to the children and then they speak to the fathers. Fathers do what? Ephesians 6, 4. 
bring up your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. It's on the fathers to do that. Uh, they should not abdicate their, their responsibility. You're, as, as youth pastors, we come alongside them to equip, to affirm, encourage them. Uh, by equipping, I'm talking about, here's practically what equipping means, seminars, teaching, affirmation, instruction, prayer, encouragement, that's all equipping. Um, but our, our task is not to replace the parents. Um, it's on them. And, and, and to do that in the home, encourage parents to do this in the home. I'm sure most of you do this, but, um, but to train your own children, teaching them, praying with them, reading the Bible together, singing together. This is what is called family worship. And this is just, no one does it anymore. It's not part of the day-to-day cycle of, of people in the home. Uh, catechism. <laughs> Uh, very few people ever even think about doing catechism with children. And it, you know, it used to be that, that catechism is such a helpful tool, by the way, because you can say, and the reason that you would do this, they would stress catechism, is so that on Sunday morning in, in worship, Lord's Day worship, you'd have someone come, and, uh, and, and let's say they've been learning about justification in their catechism. Well, they get to church, and the pastor can preach, and when he gets a justification, he doesn't have to stop and take five minutes to explain and unpack all that. He can keep moving along without having to stop and, and do that. Um, but there's some great, helpful resources with, with that. And it's on the parents. It's their responsibility. I know there's a lot of exceptions. Single parent homes and you know, working and barely making ends meet and all this and the other, and we'll get to that. But we can't understate the, the principle that it's on the parents to do that. So they have the primary role. I can't stress that enough. They have the primary role in this. There's a church that my, one of my closest friends went to. The pastor told him, don't talk to the parents at all. It was a PCA church. Don't talk to the parents at all. Uh, you're the youth pastor. You do youth. Um, so anyway... I, this is this is a, a major issue, and it should be a, a constant relationship. You want to get them involved. You want them to take ownership of their child's development and growth, uh, which means that the parents are going to have to grow in this as well. Okay, so this is I can't understate that enough. In worship, they need to be there in worship with their families, um, worshiping together. I mean, you see in the Bible. You try to find one place where children are not part of worship or the public reading of the word or something. They're there. They're there. Now, I, I understand the movement today, the family integrated church movement, and uh, I'm friends with Scott Brown who does that. Um, but we have some disagreements. And, of course, he would say just get rid of it all. Why are you even having this seminar? <laughs> Period. Just close the door, you know. But here's the thing, it's, there's, there is a place for this calling to come alongside parents, to equip them. Who's going to be the connecting point in this? Um, and so you can see that, that a, a youth leader, youth pastor, youth whatever, director, can be important for bridging that gap. Coming alongside the parents, connecting those youth who do not have Christian homes, how are they going to find discipleship within the body life of the church? 
those youth that are broken homes, non-Christian parents, how can they find spiritual mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters in the body life of the church? They need that connecting point. They need a Titus II model in their life, maybe. Uh, older men training younger men, older women training younger women in the church. Uh, but how, who's going to do that? How's that going to be ring in? So that's an important aspect uh, of that in the discipleship. Any questions on that? This is a major, this is a big topic. Um, is it fair to say it's not just a connecting point between the students and the parents, but also between the parents and the, the broader ministry? Yes, of the church. That's right. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, it is, I think it's impossible to make a biblical case for youth ministry as we know it today that is disconnected from the primary role of parents. In fact, I was teaching uh, a, a, a class on youth ministry at a seminary in um, Mexico, and, and there's a bunch of youth professors and youth leaders in there, maybe 60 or so, and I said, can you one book, chapter, verse that gives any justification of most modern youth ministry today that disassociates the primary role of the parents and the youth culture that we see, the youth ministry culture that we see in the church today. <laughs> and they started laughing, and then, because I think they were expecting there was one verse, maybe, but there's not. And yet, it is a multi, multi-million dollar industry, from t-shirts to you name it. And it's a, it's a difficult thing to justify uh, from the Bible. Uh, when we when we really think through that, can you give some examples of what it looks like for you to equip firms with parents? Yeah, so so we have we have brochures that we've made. Um, so for example, um, so liter- big picture literature, p- youth uh, and parent seminars. So having frequent seminars with parents and uh, meeting and, and talking through how can you best do this in the home. Uh, when you wake up, when you lie down, how can you teach your children diligently? Um, how can you get your family together for worship? Um, how can you make worship in the local church a priority? So seminars on those kind of topics, on parenting, whatever. Literature, books, resources. Um, like I said, we, we've made our own uh, like bullet, you know, brochures and this kind of thing on it. It gives simple... Here's three reasons why children should be in worship and how you can en- encourage that. There's a great article, by the way, by John and Noel Piper. If you go to Desiring God, type in something on like the family in worship or something like that. And it gives some very practical, helpful, like going to the bathroom uh, or, or making sure things are done before worship. <laughs> um, and, and when you're on, in the seat next to them, help, helping them show them opening the Bible and that kind of thing. So literature to help do that. Seminars, of course, prayer, um, praying with and for them, um, and uh, and of course, just the regular teaching and ministry of the church. Um, so those are all equipping and encouragement. A lot of parents are just beat down and bruised and tired, and they're just I'm done, <laughs> and and they just need a word of encouragement. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. You know, you're, you're, I know it's tough. I know your kids are going crazy and they're crying and whatever. You're doing a wonderful job with them. So, question: I'd be interested in your thoughts on the linkage between in worship, between the youth ministry and the family, and when 
what are your thoughts on when the when the entire senior high group comes in and into the worship service and rather than going, you know, they go two places. They go sit with their families where they sit as a mass group. And I would encourage them to sit with their families. That's my thought on it. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, are there exceptions? Are there other times? Sure, maybe. Um, but I would encourage them to sit with their with their parents and uh, and let that be a foundation of ongoing ministry in the home. So, you know, you know, why do we have an assurance of pardon or a confession or what did? The pastor said, you know, mean when he said this or whatever that there can be that ongoing thing. Um, some, like I said, there's a lot of kids now that don't have that. They don't have Christian parents. They're not in church, but they're coming. So obviously they're not going to sit with their families, but they can sit with their spiritual family. They can sit with those that want to mentor and and uh, and grow them. I, I so. think one of the reasons I've seen for that is where you've got. I think the biggest encouragement for a church, though, and, and, and this is more of a pride thing for a church a lot of times, is, oh, look at all the youth. Okay. <laughs> you know, if that's the goal, you know, it's not a great goal. You know, I love, you know, we have, we have in, our, in our church service, we have from babies on up. Uh, we do have a nursery provided, you know, for a, a really fussy kid or whatever, but but we have babies on up, and, and kids make noises, even from a young, I mean, they do. Uh, little kids make noises, and it's okay. Um, we, we get through it. Um, anyway, so it's, this is something to really, really think through, this aspect. And, and again, I don't agree with the National Center for Family Integrated Churches, all their positions on that. Um, I think there's also a both and. Uh, so it's not every meeting needs to be intergenerational, this, as they're saying. But there are important times for peer group relationships. There are. And for the same stage of life, uh, friendships. However, here's one thing to think about, is that when a, a youth graduates from high school you know, or college, um, at no other time are they split like they are in, in all the age categories. Um, and, and we turn them out expecting them to know how to honor and respect older generations and to train and model to younger generations to when they've never done that in church or in school before. And it's an interesting thing that, that you know, this is something that we, I, I've seen there, there's no intentional effort, especially the older generations. I think the older generations are actually the lost, forgotten generation in the church, not the younger ones. Everybody's after the targeting the younger Generations, the youth and the young parents and all that, and a lot of times it's the older generation that's forgotten, and uh, and there's not an intentional effort for intergenerational worship and ministry. Uh, I think it's very valuable for for teenagers. Uh, that. Good questions. Means of grace. So again, this whole book, there's only one negative chapter. The rest of it is very positive about. What is a means of grace ministry? So we've looked at the first chapter. Um, the, the means of grace ministry look like? Uh, 
and of course, when I threw up means of grace in a all Baptist context, they look they think I'm Roman Catholic or something, and you know, or that I believe in this ex opera operato or something. Uh, but of course, our our confession catechism talks about the outward means whereby Christ communicates the benefits of mediation, all his ordinances. This is important. Um, that it's not just th- we typically see there are only three ordinances. No, there's a lot. There's ordinary ones, so we talk about ordinary means of grace. Uh, all his ordinances, especially word, sacraments, and prayer. The basic means, the ordinary means, and that's the code word as you've heard it on, in no, no doubt in many seminars and talks, ordinary means. This is what they're talking about. These three basic kinds of things, word, prayer, and sacraments. It's not that the sacraments save, and they don't work like a magic, magical formula of cause and effect. You know, in other words, if I'm preaching on Sunday morning, it does not necessarily mean by the work performed. It doesn't mean that because I'm preaching the gospel, necessarily everyone who hears it will become saved. Or because someone takes the Lord's Supper, that they will necessarily grow in their faith. Okay? But they are means by which God does that work. I'm, I'm working on a... Uh, a five views of youth ministry book with Baker, and I'm one of the views, and it's interesting because I'm reading these other pers- perspectives and uh, these other views, um, and they're all over the place, <laughs> and and I've noticed a couple of things in all of them that are very clear. The biggest one is where's God? God is completely absent. Like where where's God's activity? It's almost like we've left God behind in the dust of youth ministry, and He's just not even present. And no theology of God's sovereign work in their lives at all. Um, so this is how we connect it. So we believe that we are simply to be faithful to the means that he's given us. He does that work. Are these the priorities that we have in our, in our ministry? Um, and so I've, I've, I've identified five main ones for a youth ministry, and I don't have time to go through those uh, really today. Um, they're, they're in here, but... Um, with these main five, they're all interconnected. I need to say that. These are not standalone kinds of things. They're all interconnected. These are all priorities, as I see them in Scripture, priorities of ministry. You may notice I haven't mentioned worship in here, because uh, a lot of these are part of worship. Um, so I didn't know how to necessarily pull that out uh, as a separate thing, but that should be uh, kind of a, a theme throughout all of it. Um, but ministry of the word, of course, encouraging Lord's Day worship and preaching, meditation of scripture, memorization of scripture, somehow, somewhere between elementary and middle school, we stop memorizing the Bible and we never memorize it again. And really, you remember a lot of Psalms. I, mean, I, I used to memorize Psalms in the old King James, like Psalm 23 and different things as a kid. And then when I got to middle school, all of a sudden we didn't memorize anything anymore. There's no kind of that uh, writing God's word on my heart and, and knowing it, meditating on it day and night to be like that tree planted by streams of water bearing fruit in its season. Um, that was just dried up and it didn't happen anymore. Um, it's interesting when you look at like something like Ephesians 6 and you see this, the, uh, the, the armor of God, the whole armor of God, and you get to the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and you know there in your studies of Greek that word the word for word there in Greek is not logos it's anybody know 
It's the rhema of God. Uh, in other words, it's a spoken word of God. Um, in other words, you know the word enough that you, it's on your lips. That's your, that's your defense. That's your attack uh, in the whole armor of God, is that you know it so well that in those times of temptation, as you are struggling, as you are battling in spiritual warfare, it's there. But this is not part of a normal youth ministry to do any kind of meditation, memorization, study, focus on Lord's Day preaching. Uh, that's not typically priorities. Um, but those are certainly priorities that we see in the Bible. Um, anyway, any questions on that? I, I know this is obvious. This is not like revolutionary. Well, I hope it's not revolutionary. Um, it's just it's pretty obvious. Prayer times of prayer are these regularly I'm thinking are these priorities in, in the, the body life of our church lots of youth ministries they'll have a brief time of prayer maybe at their opening of their youth group that's really it for the week there's no encouragement of individual prayer family prayer of, of prayer with uh, friends of small group prayer I know probably some of your churches have a bunch of discipleship groups or small groups um, as they focus on, on word and prayer Sacraments. This is one that trips up a lot of people. They're like, how do you do that in youth ministry? <laughs> now, I, I was a little disturbed by the... Uh, can I say this? Um, record. I was disturbed by what we kind of approved yesterday. Uh, you know, that anybody can serve communion. Um, you know, the RUF guy. Um, you know, that it doesn't have to be a minister of the word to do it. Well... That's uh that's disturbing to me, that that hap- that people do that. That uh, I know of a PCA church and and uh, it's the the wives of deacons were baptizing and serving communion and it was really odd. Um, but how does how that relate to youth ministry? Well, you want youth to be to to incur- to teach them about what it means to say here you know to take Lord's Supper. Um, you be a part of the local church. You belong to a local church. Well, that encourages church membership to take the Lord's Supper. Um, or you, uh, it, it causes them to get to a place of really thinking through it and taking inventory of where they are before the Lord. Um, this is, and this is one of the things I don't see in parachurch ministries, youth or young life and youth for Christ and these kinds of groups. Um, there's a lot of negatives to them. Um, I know they say they don't compete with the church, but in my experience, most of them do. Most of them have this underlying competition with the local church because uh, time. There's only so much time in the day, and but in a parachurch model, you don't have church membership, you don't have church discipline, you don't have intergenerational ministry, you don't have emphasis on Lord's Day worship. They're like, hey, I checked that off in my week of time in the Word. That's it. It'd be really tough to see something that's disconnected from the local church, like a parachurch or ministry that usurps the weekly ministry of, of the church and worship. Um, but this is one of one of the areas too is sacraments. Uh, service, as you probably noticed, when you've gone on mission trips, when you've gone to serve, you feel you know if, I don't know if you've ever been on a mission trip, but if you've gone on a mission trip, you come back you're like I feel that I've grown more than the people I went to serve. Because I believe God uses our service as a means by which we grow. Uh, he grows us and sanctifies us as we are poured out for others. 
Um, I see that happen all the time. And I think it's an important aspect of discipleship of anybody is, in, is, is a life of service because it causes us to grow. So is, are these parts of your ministry and, of course, community? Uh, whether that is large group community, community with the families, community in small groups and discipleship groups. Um, and at the heart of that, you want it to be safe and, 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 and a, a place where they can really grow and learn uh, and, and be welcomed, uh, not to be okay with sin, but to be welcomed, a safe place like that, and sound, so safe and sound, uh, of course, in true doctrine. Um, you know, and, and I think the reward of this is, is intimacy, not sexual intimacy, but the idea of um, that I know you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I choose to love you anyway. That's intimacy, where you known, and, and we are terrified to be known, but we all want to be known and loved. The reason we're terrified to be known is because we might be rejected, which leads to being alone, which is my greatest fear. So I want to be known and loved at the same time. I want someone to say, I know you fully, and I love you with a steadfast love. And this is the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? But this is what intimacy is. So intimacy is a reward of committed love. Intimacy is a reward of committed love. And we see that in community. Every time that I've been somewhere and there's a constant competition with someone, and it's just uneasy kind of, they're always boasting in themselves and their accomplishments and their sports abilities. I was, I was speaking at a, at a youth uh, event in Florida. What's that Florida, that convention place? Laguna? Wait. It's the Christian conference place. Yeah, Laguna Beach, yeah. I was speaking at this, this, uh, this youth retreat there. And the youth pastors called, or one guy called me and said, hey, I'm bringing my youth group, and there's this one guy in my youth group, he's just going to give you hell all week long. I'm like, thanks, you know, <laughs> thanks, appreciate that. Heads up, at least. So uh, as I was, I was uh, there waiting, you know, I was watching the buses pull in and dropping off all these youth, and as one guy gets off, he pulls his shirt off, and he's just this 17-year-old, 18-year-old, you know, teenager. All the girls are wanting to be around him. All the guys want to be him. And as you could sit, you could tell who this guy was. And I was like, great, this is this is going to be a difficult. You can just tell he's always kind of he doesn't respect any adults, any leaders. And um, so I made it a mission just to boast in weakness every time I was around him, uh, and and to basically take away his ammo. Uh, and and what I did is he would, I mean, from the first moment. Uh, as he's boasting about his basketball abilities. I, I don't have the height advantage of, that he had or really anybody. I don't have the jumping abilities either. And, and so I'm, I'm constantly, every time I was around him, boasting in weakness. But he didn't have anything to say on me then. I, I took away his ammo. There was nothing he could say. And all of a sudden, he, I mean, he really was drawn to being around me for whatever reason, because of that, the walls came down and we were able to have wonderful conversations about the gospel on an individual level that week. Uh, really, you know, especially the last few days of that week. And I know this is about community. Is that when we take a you know, 2 Corinthians 12 model of I'm going to boast in weakness so the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
and boast in Christ and his sufficiency and righteousness on my behalf, it gives me a sense of great security. I'm accepted already in the beloved. I'm, I'm whole and complete. I don't have to be afraid of that. And I can therefore boast. And when that happens, walls come down and community can happen. And that's really important for building community. It's important in the home. It's important uh, with youth ministry and church staff, too. That's a big one that I see between different church staff. All right, any question on that? Um, obviously, you want to be a part of a team with parents, with church officers. This is a big thing. I have a, have a uh, appendix in here about how to do this with elders and deacons. Uh, there's been times where I've been out of town and, and you know, a youth will be in the hospital calling the shepherding elder of that family and saying, can you do the visitation? Can you go and visit? Um, getting the youth to serve along with the deacons. How are, they going to, how are youth going to ever be future elders and deacons in the church if they've never labored with them, if they've never been with them? So we want to be very intentional about having them, you know, as deacons, organize a work day. <laughs> uh, having them be a part of that. Um, maybe even helping and organize parts of it. Um, a lot of times what I would do is if, if, there's a, if there's a group of youth, I would say, you and you, two youth, you delegate a team to do this and that. Therefore, they're all of a sudden having to become leaders, being equipped as leaders to delegate others. They like it because they don't have to do the work. They just delegate, but they're delegating others to do it. But all of a sudden, it puts them in that, to, you know, developing those, uh, those leadership uh, abilities. But church officers, this is a whole other topic that's really, really important. And how do you work with these shepherding? I hope your churches have shepherding elders. I know they have elders, but elders who shepherd the people. And a great book by Tim Whitmer, just talking to Dale here earlier, um, a great book by Tim Whitmer, uh, The Shepherd Leader. encourage you to buy that, read that, use that uh, in your church. But having youth come alongside deacons and elders in the church, um, so they're not just on their own. Uh, youth shepherds, I don't call them youth volunteers. I call them youth shepherds. Uh, and the reason is because of calling and, and, and not time. Um, sometimes if, if I just say, hey, this is what we need. Have you ever tried to do this, try to get volunteers for something? Hey, this needs to happen. And everybody's like, you know, <laughs> don't want to sign up. Vision always needs to come before need. So you talk about the vision, what we're after, what we're all about, you know. And then I never had to ask for volunteers. I never had to, I was having to, turn people away. We have enough people right now. Thank you, you know. Um, Because we're always on vision. Vision, vision, vision. What we're about, what we're trying to accomplish, where we're going. They want that. They want to be behind. They want to know the why of what you're doing. If you're just saying, here's the need we have, it's so... I just feel like I'm being used in my time. I'm not being called to it. And we would require... um, commitments, yearly commitments from these youth shepherds, these youth leaders, and various D-group models or, or discipleship groups. Uh, we would have discipleship groups where we would get parents to be involved in these. Um, and, uh, and, and in these discipleship groups, we'd be involved in prayer and study together. And they would make these, these youth leaders would make commitments, year commitments, sign them 
to be involved as a as a youth shepherd to and uh, subject group leader to be a ministry of presence to being available to being just one of service set up tables and chairs to being a one-on-one ministry mentor uh, coming alongside a parent specifically with a, with a certain youth now they could do all four um, but very specifically we, we wanted to have them there's a level of commitment there um, so and you want to pamper them <laughs> to some degree you want to take care of them encourage them affirm them write them handwritten letters to give books to them. Uh, uh, I took them on, a, on an annual Youth Shepherd retreat, and uh, it, was, it was one of the greatest, most, I don't know, it was the greatest time of the year. We had a, a wonderful time, and we had great food. We, I wanted to really uh, encourage them in their calling, and really that became more of a... Um, of a recruiting kind of thing because everybody wanted to come to the Youth Shepherd Retreat. They marked that on their calendar. They loved that time. Uh, and what I would do is if I noticed a couple people that I felt would be really good in that, I would say, hey, you should come to the, the retreat. And we would go through vision of what we're doing. You do need to have a vision and purpose in your ministry. If you don't, then it just becomes kind of like, well, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? It should dovetail with your church's overall vision, philosophy of ministry. I've seen where youth groups and whatever have a completely different idea of ministry than their church. That doesn't work well. So it needs to dovetail with that. Um, So whatever your vision is, where you're going, the vision is what you want to be. It's the goal. That's the vision. The mission is how do you get there. It's it's the how-to of that, The, the, the important elements and pieces to it. Um, so, like for example, we would say our, our vision is to be a covenant community of equipped, mature, and joyful disciples of Jesus Christ, taking his gospel to our community and to the ends of the earth. That's a vision. That's what we want to be. How do we do that? Through faithfully planting and watering the gospel through those means of grace. That's the, the building blocks. That's how the, the, what the God says are the priorities in ministry on doing that. Okay. Evaluating your current ministry, are these the priorities that you have? If God is the one who gives the growth, how do you evaluate anyway? Is it focused on the good news of, and not just moralistic, therapeutic deism? Is it really focused on the full gospel uh, of growth in grace as well? Sanctification has been a big topic this week. Um, but are you focused on not just saying, oh, we're sa- you're saved, we're done. One youth pastor said, I'm a salvation junkie. I just get them saved. And then, like, really? Uh, so are, are, are you really being intentional with the means of growing in God's grace? Are you, are there, do you have a regular diet of those things? You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.